Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Were you bullied in school? How did you deal with it? Do you still harbor feelings of bitterness and vengefulness in your heart towards those who mistreated and abused you? Today, my guest is John Nessel, who faced ruthless ridicule and physical abuse from kindergarten all the way to 10th grade. He shares seven points to help you get the healing you need to let go of past trauma and experience God's healing. Here now is episode 511, Healing from Bullying, part one with John Nessel. Welcome, John Nessel, to Restitutio. So great to talk to you today. Thank you. I am curious about your background. Maybe you could just introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners, just to get to know you a little bit. I am a minister, too. I'm a biblical researcher. I've been researching the Bible since, oh, I probably started in earnest in 1975. I've done so much research that it's coming out of my ears. <laughs> I have to do something with it. So about, oh, a decade ago, I decided that I was going to give it all away. So I enjoy working with other ministries and ministers, even though they may differ with me a little bit. That's okay. That happens. But anyway, um, you had approached me about something that I wrote when I got a letter from my high school reunion. Right. Yeah, I saw you, you had posted about getting bullied. And uh, what I wrote to you is that I, I too was bullied. You know, this is uh, something that the way you talked about it, I thought was very impressive, really resonated with me. Although I don't think I had anything near the experience that you had based on uh, what you were saying. So maybe we could go back there and, and just share a little bit about your what you were like back then and what was going on. I was marked from kindergarten, I had a birthmark on my face. It was about the size of a quarter. But anyway, I also was the youngest person in my class because I I just made the birthday deadline. And also on top of all that, my father had a strange occupation. He had a television show about nature. And during the course of his broadcasts, he would imitate birds. He he could imitate over 200 species of birds. And so the teachers loved him because students got interested in science. After the TV show stopped, my father traveled all over the Midwest and lectured in schools. They, he did two or three school assemblies per day uh, all over the Midwest. He even went to my wife's elementary school. She remembers him. And you grew up in Indiana? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Ohio, okay. So I was teased and bullied incessantly from the moment I got on the school bus until I got off. There was, unfortunately, uh, a young man who had been stricken with polio, and he was the one who was the instigator of it because he was just, he was very evil. He was very angry because he just missed the polio vaccine. And so he was crippled with polio and very angry at the world. And somehow he decided to pick on me. And then he also uh, manipulated a, a big dim-witted guy that was his hands and his feet he instigated him to do all kinds of terrible things. So um, my life was hell. Right from yeah. kindergarten? Yes. It didn't stop until 10th grade. I grew up. <laughs> I got to be six feet tall. But it actually stopped the day that someone who, was, who used to bully me tried to kick me in the face. And... I somehow knew what to do. I grabbed his foot and I lifted his leg above my head 
and he fell down on the ground. And I could have kicked the stuffing out of him, but I didn't. I just stood over him and growled and walked away. And after that, it stopped. <laughs> they said, Nestle knows karate or something. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know, but it stopped. I wonder if you could share, I know it might be painful, but like, what, what are some of the specific things they did when you were a kid? Like when you say they bullied you, what, what does that mean? Just like calling you names or what are we talking All about? All kinds of stuff. Um, I remember vividly on the playground as a kindergartner, a big sixth grader uh, hit me so hard I did a cartwheel. I remember that vividly. Oh, when I got on the school bus, when I walk up the steps, like somebody go one, two, three, and they would say, good morning. And they would say my hated nickname. They, because my dad imitated birds, they called me Tweet Tweet. And then everything went on from there. No one would be my friend. Uh, people tried to beat me up. I didn't know how to fight. So they called me windmill. And uh, so I was very sad. What happened for me is I made science and music and math my friends because I knew they couldn't hurt me. And I, instead of hanging out with friends and doing things like that, I read books. I read practically, oh, one-third of the books in the school elementary school library and the thick ones the ones without pictures <laughs> the biographies and that influenced my life so when you were going through all this what were you thinking about yourself about your future or were you just not really thinking about it at all just getting through each day no, I, it actually forced me to grow up it actually affected me a lot because people today you have these these times that people go out and blow up and they shoot everybody up and they're real angry i think had columbine happened that columbine massacre if that would have happened during my time in school i was angry enough to imitate it in fact i had made explosives I was going to be an organic chemistry major in college. Uh, I ordered uh, recipes on how to make explosives. I made them <laughs> when I was young. And I was very angry. And I was very much full of hatred. I would have terrible visions and dreams of uh, revenge. Um, so... I had emotional and spiritual scars and I dealt with them. And I think I have a message to people who have been bullied and also to bullies because all of these events where people have been shot up, the perpetrator almost always has been bullied. They were bullied so much, made fun of, etc., and they finally blew up. Whenever that happens, you know, sometimes there are anti-bully initiatives that are on the news, you know, or websites to stop bullying. And I have written them with what I have learned, and no one has answered. So that's why I'm glad I can talk to you about it, because maybe we can get what I've learned out there. And if it even stops one of those events, it'll be worth it. But I think if this could get out, it would be a way of canceling the effects of bullying. See, most of the times that I have seen reaction to this, it's all been about stop bullying, stop bullying, don't bully. But they, they don't seem to focus on the victims and what to do for them and i was a victim and so i turned to science and math and they were my friends 
And the biographies of George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and Edison and Tesla and all the books that I read, those men changed history. They were special. And for some reason, that transferred to me. And I thought maybe I'm special too. I am not what the bullies say about me. I'm not. Because I didn't do anything wrong. I just reacted badly. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, my parents, they, they really couldn't help me. They just quoted me cliches. Oh, they envy you. Oh, just ignore them. <laughs> but, uh, you can't ignore them. And so this idea that, that maybe I was meant for something, maybe I was not what those bullies said I was, that's how I was able to survive. Yeah. I mean, you were under in incredible uh, pressure and stress and anxiety day in and day out. So you, yes, it's, it's really kind of miraculous in a sense that you were able to find some shred of hope. Well, yeah, um, God somehow was working in me because, see, since my strength was in my mind, I used it. Because they couldn't get inside my head. They couldn't make me think anything. So my mind was my citadel. And what I thought was, I thought it in defiance of them. But still, you know, I, I couldn't help but still be angry and sad. Uh, but I did know one thing, and that was when I graduated from high school, I could move away and, and start a new life. And so I looked forward to that. In fact, three days after I graduated, I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take you too long to get out of there, huh? No, no, no. But I learned seven valuable things that I think will help anyone who is bullied from the victim standpoint. So the first one is, you are worth something. You are good. You are not what the bullies say you are. Everyone, I believe, is special in some way. So find what that is and major on it. See, because you do have worth. Sometimes, you know, the victims are trapped, but that's only for a time they'll they'll if they keep persisting and not give up then one day they'll be able to get out of it even if it is waiting till you graduate from high school and, and you leave but the second thing is you want to find out what you are good at because that's your worth so you want to find what your song is and sing it Okay, find out what your cause is. And the best ticket to get out of your situation is education. Pursue your education. It's free. You're in school, okay? So education is your best ticket to the future. Now, sometimes people think that sports is a ticket too okay and if you're good at sports that's great but there aren't as many opportunities or scholarships you know with sports like there is with education and libraries are free so your education doesn't have to be expensive you, you don't have to have anything to hold you back because if you get a good education and get scholarships if you work hard then when you leave, you'll have something to look forward to. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. See, if you are smart, if you get scholarships, people will pay for things so, so you can get out <laughs> of where you are and leave those guys in your dust. Something I notice is that uh, there the, the really aren't bullies in colleges. 
You know, I've, <laughs> I, I've been to a bunch of colleges, and yeah, uh, I just never saw any of it uh, on others or never experienced it myself. And I remember the first college I went to, I was kind of like you, a little young uh, for my age. So I was at college yeah. at 17. And I remember thinking to myself, where are all the bullies? You know, like they just either didn't make it here or they grew out of it or, or whatever. And I just never saw any of it. I'm sure there's got to be some here and there. But right. uh, it's very minimized compared to those younger years. Oh, yeah. For me, it was it middle was... school. That's where I got, somehow or other, I got I got to become the target of this one guy. I still remember his name to this day, even though it's decades right. later. You know, I remember one day in math class, he just, uh, he just I, I don't even know why. He just he just wound up and he just punched me right in the face and I had these oh, glasses boy. on and he just knocked him right off. Like I didn't know it was coming. It was just out of nowhere. And you know, I had enough time to to bend down to get my glasses on and then the teacher walked in the room at just that moment and there was no nothing really to do about it. It was over. Right. And it was just like, where does that come from? You know, but in, in, once you get to college, you don't see that kind of thing happening. Thank right. God. Well, I think that bullying can be spiritual. It causes spiritual damage. But the third thing I learned, and this is a biggie, when you are bullied and you feel all of those strong emotions, the sadness, the loneliness, the despair, the anger, those are actually just chemical responses in your head all right and in reality happiness is just a chemical experience in your brain you've heard of uh, chemicals like serotonin dopamine oxytocin endorphins okay those are brain chemicals that make you happy um they are let's see you have epinephrine and non-nephrinephrine is those are angry chemicals, and then cortisol and adrenaline, those are stress or fear response chemicals. They are just chemicals in your brain. They're dumb. They don't think. They just they cause urges. Okay, but you can still be in charge. And so to demonstrate this, I just ask people, have you ever wanted to have a tantrum and you held yourself back? Has that ever happened? Well, sure. And well, that proves that you are able to be in charge of these chemicals in your brain. The psychological term for being in charge like that is called sublimation it's using that energy because that's what it is those urges are just energy and you use that energy for what you want you can redirect it the you know the official definition of sublimation is it's a defense mechanism that involves channeling unwanted or unacceptable urges into wholesome admissible or productive outlets. That's what sublimation is. And your will is the traffic cop in your head. And you can control that. And that is just energy. So you can use that energy. See, I was so angry because of everything that had happened to me I could go from zero to 100 in a split second, angriness. I could be instantly angry, 100 miles an hour. Yeah, I was tempted many times to blow up, and I, I did blow up. In fact, I was very acquainted with Mr. Rage. Mr. Rage is a liar because Mr. Rage tells you, oh, if you blow up, then you'll feel better afterwards. Well, he's a liar because you don't feel better afterwards because after, after it's all done, whatever that made you angry is still there. Plus the consequences, 
And so the only one that's satisfied is Mr. Rage, not you. And then, you know, afterwards you feel used and ashamed and tricked. You feel stupid because Mr. Rage tricked you. We can think what we want. And we don't have to give in to those urges, to those chemicals. They are energy. So you know what you can do is you can use that energy because it's just as easy to do a good thing as it is to do a bad thing. I mean, it takes the same amount of effort. But the thing you, you got to deal with is the momentum. Because if you have a habit, if you have a, a momentum to think one way, then to think a different way takes a little bit of time to start thinking the different way. You understand? So, but once you get that habit changed, it's just as easy to do a good thing as it is a bad thing. Uh, sports stars do that. They channel their anger, their pain, their defeat to drive themselves to excel, okay? Sports coaches do that. You're there in the locker room after you lost the big game, and the coach has an opportunity to teach you something because he says, you've been defeated. Do you like how you feel? Do you like it? Well, don't waste that anger. Use it. Use it to dedicate yourself, to practice, to practice. Use it every time you feel like giving up. Remember it. Use it to push yourself harder. Use it to win. And then next year, come back here and we'll win. See, that's what good coaches do. They tell you how to deal with defeat. The movies and video games and television do not teach you how to properly deal with defeat. They glorify revenge, right? Well, why did they do that? To make money. That's all. These things are that's businesses. All. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. They don't do it because it's true. They do it to make money, to take advantage of you. Now, also, when you have these urges, you've got to let it out somehow. I was going to ask about that. So how can you how can you let it out without the explosive without anger? blowing it up? Yeah. Okay. Well, expressive things like music, writing, poetry, dance, art, rhetoric. Rhetoric, you, you can argue with people. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. But anyway, um, I used music to let mine out. I became first chair, first trumpet in high school. And so I used music to let it out. So you have to find some way to let it out. See, you let it out the way you want, not the way the bullies want, not the way Mr. Rage wants. Well, I think, too, if a bully attacks you in some way that garners a response, an emotional response, in a twisted way, it encourages the bully to do that again. Right. Because you're, because you're giving them the gratification of knowing that they have really affected you. Well, see, bullies themselves need help. They are dysfunctional. And if they don't get treated, they'll have failed marriages. They will have failed job opportunities. They will fail in social interactions with people. It can be very costly. They need to figure out why do they feel they need to bully. Okay? So they need help too. But right now, you know, I'm, I'm concentrating on the victims you can use that energy to do something good use it to dedicate yourself to study use it to dedicate it yourself to do what you are called to do 
See, now I know that's a mature thing, but unfortunately, bullies force victims to grow up sooner than they ought. You have to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it right, it's like a balloon that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, what happens to the balloon if you if you let it get bigger and bigger and bigger? It blows up, right? And and it will blow up where you don't want it to blow up. <laughs> It'll blow up at the wrong time. Someone who's bullied a victim, you need help. Okay. So if you're in middle school and you're being bullied, go to the office and ask to talk to the school counselor. Every school has a counselor. Or go to your minister, your church minister, and ask them for help. Tell them you're being bullied and you need to learn how to think wholesome thoughts. They will help you with that. If you are bullied, if you're a victim, if you're abused in any way, you need help. So go get help. You're worth it. Okay? And sometimes no one else will advocate for you. So you got to do it yourself. Okay? You got to go to the school counselor. You got to go to the minister and tell them, I need help did you try any of this when you were in no, the situation no but you wish because, looking back on it you wish you had yes absolutely because all of these things that i'm telling you i learned after all the bullying was over with and after i had gotten involved with that bible fellowship and then i i had to deal with all of those feelings you see because if you don't deal with them then you can grow up to have ptsd post-traumatic stress syndrome you can have emotional burnout where you have no emotions at all or you have no emotions except the bad ones like anger or you could be hypersensitive and fragile and unable to just deal with any hardship in life. Right. Or, you know, you, you grow up to be a criminal. I don't think anybody wants to grow up to be a criminal. I, I don't think anyone wants to grow up to be shot by the police. No. Okay. But if you don't get this treated, any kind of abuse, then... Things can happen. See, with me, I you know, I, I utilize my scientific and, and logical thinking, and I applied it to the Bible, and I became very good at that. I became so good at it that uh, one minister offered to ordain me in 1998. I told him, I said, well, I know that's going to happen for me. I know that's going to be what I'm going to do. But I'm not ready yet because Jesus taught to love your enemies and to pray for them that despitefully use you. Well, when I first read that in Matthew, I thought he was nuts. <laughs> I, I could not fathom how to do that. And, you know, if I was going to become a minister, I'd have to toe the company line. <laughs> and that's the company line. That's company policy. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for them to despitefully use you. And you've got to be able to counsel other people to do that. And I did not, I did not know how to do that. So I told them, I still have to get some crust <laughs> off of me. And so I worked on that until, you know, I, I had to go pretty deep into the word to understand it. But I worked it until I understood it. And then I told him, now I'm ready to become ordained. I've learned a whole lot about how to do that. If someone has suffered abuse, get help. Get 
counseling. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, any kind of abuse. You kids from your waist to your knees is off limits. That's your body. No one should touch that. Okay? And you and your girls, your chest, that's your body. No one should touch that. See? So if you get abused, then you need to tell someone. You need to tell your school counselor. You need to tell your minister. So it stops. So you can take care of it. Because you don't want things to, to jump you when you grow up. The one thing I wanted more than anything else was to be treated normal. That's what I want. I wanted it to be loved. I, I wanted to be accepted. And I was not. And I desperately wanted that. I wanted to grow up to be normal, to be healed. It didn't happen for me until I got involved with the Bible and people genuinely loved me. Uh, I wonder if you could uh, go into that a little bit. What, what was that like when you first experienced real Christian love? Uh, oh. Did you have a category for it or was it just like a totally well, a foreign experience or can you remember? You're sure vividly. I was never witnessed to. I crashed a fellowship thinking it was a drug party. <laughs> and I walked up, you know, I rang the doorbell and the girl's voice answered. And I walked up the steps and I looked over and I saw two of the most beautiful women that I'd ever seen in my entire life. They were people in the way core and they were almost like angelic. They didn't say a word, but they looked like they were so full of wisdom. They almost like had halos, literally. <laughs> they No, really. Wow. They, just, they had this glow about them. And then the third woman at the top of the steps, she didn't say hi. She immediately broke into prophecy. She spoke by inspired utterance and told me God would do A, B, and C for me. And A, B, and C were the things that I had agonized over for my entire life. And then they sat me down, they hand me a Bible, <laughs> and they taught me Ephesians and Colossians, things I'd never heard. And at the end of the teaching, my roommate from college had come up too. And I found myself witnessing to him the things that I had just learned trying to convince him to become a Christian. <laughs> they just, they respected me. They didn't make fun of me. They loved me. They spoke to me. They didn't talk at me. They were genuinely interested in me. I had never experienced that kind of attention my entire life. And I was 21 years old at that point. So, yes, it's it's very vivid <laughs> what they did for me. Changed my life. And all of that hatred and that anger and that revenge began to melt away. Wow. That's really powerful. Oh, I know. I mean, had I not done that, I was ready to do Breaking Bad. I was an organic chemistry major in college. All I needed was a chemical called 345-trimethoxyphenylacetylnitrile. <laughs> that was a chemical I needed. But the problem was, if you ordered that, then it had an automatic FBI tracer on right. it. <laughs> they come knocking at your door. I had everything else I needed. I had the glassware. I was the assistant to the glass blower at college. That was my work study job. So I made all the glassware I needed for Breaking Bad. I was ready to do it. And then my life changed. So, you know, I was ready to become public enemy number one. So, wow. <laughs>
I know we, oh, I could talk on and on about this. How much more time do we have? Well, yeah, we should we should wrap it up. Uh, I, I want you to at least mention those other points. You said you had seven points. Yes. Yeah. Where did we get through four? We got through three of them. Three. All right. Well, if you could just mention them, uh, because this okay. is a, this is a real thing Let's that see people here. face. All right. What I just explained in points one through three are natural things that work for anyone, but there is a spiritual element to it. And four, five, and six are godly things that you need to do. You need to learn how to cast all your care on God because he cares for you. You need to pray. You need to talk to God. All prayer is, is talking to God. That's one of them. Then another thing, you need to learn how to forgive. Forgiveness helps you more than it helps the bully. You need to learn how to forgive. And then number six. Even if the bully's not sorry for what they did? Well, since forgiveness helps you more than the person that abused you, you don't have to forgive them to their face in order for you to have the benefit. And in fact, in some circumstances, that's impossible. They may be dead. They may be... Or it may be uh, dangerous to do that. Yes. Oh, well, that's that. you put yourself in a toxic situation. Absolutely. Now, of course, the ideal situation is you reconcile. That can happen. At first, you need to just settle it between you and God. That's what forgiveness is for. And so when you finally reach the place where you can genuinely forgive, you're like an, on an island and you cross the bridge. The bridge is forgiveness. And when you cross that bridge, then all of the other things are left marooned on the island. <laughs> See, so, and there's a whole lot of things about forgiveness I can share maybe in a second meeting or something like that. But then the next thing is vengeance, how to, how to deal with vengeance. Because if you try it, you'll just mess it up. What happens is that you cause evil, so you become an abuser. You become what you detest, see? So there's a way of dealing with vengeance, the proper way. And then finally, how to pray for your enemies. That was the most difficult thing for me to do. And I tried every which way with my biblical research <laughs> to figure out if it was if it could mean in any way to pray against my enemies. Nope. Find another translation uh, it, or something, no, it, but no, no, there's no wiggle room there, huh? No, there's no wiggle room. I mean, I tried. <laughs> I tried. But there's no wiggle room. Us Christians, we cannot pray curses. That's what witches do. That's not a manifestation of the spirit. <laughs> it's not a tool in our toolbox. When you pray for your enemies, genuinely, that heals you emotionally because you get to share those emotions the genuine ones, with God. And that heals you. That's what the Christians were doing for Saul, the Apostle Paul. That is why Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, because all the believers were praying for him. And what did Jesus tell Paul? Jesus told Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the cattle prod. The cattle prod is what they used to poke the ox, to make sure the ox stayed straight. And when Jesus said that to Paul, it's like he, he hit himself in the head. And he said, no wonder my life's been all crazy. No wonder my wife's been angry at me. No wonder my servants don't work for me right. 
No wonder my household's all messed up. No wonder all my relationships are all messed up. Because you know why? Angels were slamming the door in his face everywhere he went, because that's what gets energized when you obey the word and pray for your enemies. And the ideal is what happened to Paul. He was converted. That is what is possible. See, and if you learn how to pray for your enemies properly, then it's up to them. All the doors get slammed in their face and they can go either way. But that's what happens to them. And see, that heals you too. So, I mean, there's a lot to this. The goal is for you, if you've been bullied, for you to be normal, for you to be healed, for you to not have those emotions jump you so that one day you won't get shot dead by the police. <laughs> okay, that's very good. <laughs> we don't want anyone getting shot by the police or shooting other people because oh, they're sure. so full of bitterness and the world and, has been such God, a cruel place. Yeah. God healed me. I learned how to deal with people genuinely when I became a missionary and God taught me how to deal with people. And also, God rewarded me in my personal relationships. I had no girlfriends in high school. I only went out on one date. All the other girls refused. And then God rewarded me. I married the most beautiful woman in Bible college. <laughs> so, you know, it's... My life turned around because of what I learned and the principles that I applied. Because you have to do it. You have to turn those chemicals around, sublimate that energy, and do good. All right? And if you work on it, then you'll be healed. And that's what happened to me. Well, we'll we'll have to end it here for today, but uh, that that's really great. I'm talking to somebody that has lived this and has experienced this, not just a little bit, not a couple of skirmishes, but with uh, sustained suffering over years, you know? So I think what you have to say is very valuable, and you're right. All the focus that I see is don't bully, don't bully, don't bully, but there's no consideration for, okay, well... I got bullied, now what? So this is very valuable. I appreciate your time. Right. It can be your cause. You can do something with it. You can change the world with it. That's how powerful this is. Well, thanks for talking with me today. Well, it's an honor to be able to share with you, sir. Well, that brings this interview to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 511, Healing from Bullying Part 1 with John Nessel and leave your feedback there. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Speaking of feedback, we've been getting uh, quite a bit of feedback in. I had been out of town a little bit earlier in the month and didn't get a chance to read some of it, but uh, I want to read some of it out to you now. On episode 507, which was an interview with Stephen Nemish on the Eucharist called Eating Christ's Flesh, Paul Peterson wrote, The whole point is to eat. Right. Thank you for addressing this. In all the evangelical churches I've visited over the years, I've never participated in communion by eating anything resembling a meal. The Lord's quote-unquote suppers that I've experienced have basically been a representation of a representation. That is, what I've eaten haven't been meals. They haven't even been child-sized snacks. At best, they've been representations of meals. And those hints of bread and juice, in turn, have been representations of Christ's body and blood. It's ironic how our lofty desire to make the Bible our standard for faith and practice sometimes gets derailed by logistics and tradition. Paul, you make some great points there. Logistics are the limiting issue for many churches, especially once you get over, I don't know, 50 or 100 
it's it is hard to put on a full meal. And if you do and you've got a lot of kids present, it's a little bit more difficult to call the room to order once people are sitting. It's impossible for everyone to eat at the same time, furthermore, because it just takes time to get through the line or to serve people however you do it. So it is definitely a logistically limited situation. But I do appreciate Stephen Nemish's suggestion, which is that this could be done still in the home with a small group or a, a home fellowship where you have a few families getting together or 10, 15, maybe 20 people getting together. And so long as people are contributing to the meal and it's not just on the host to buy everything and cook everything and set everything up and then clean up everything, you've got a real sustainable kind of situation there where you can have communion meals together and speak the words of institution and have actual glasses of wine instead of a thimble of it or a whole chunk of bread instead of just a little tiny piece and uh, really reenact this Last Supper. So it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. I think there is probably a time and a place for the more sparse or symbolic expression of communion, but it is easy to go too far where you just sanitize the whole thing and there's just almost nothing left to it. And uh, I think we've definitely been tending in that direction in America, at least, especially after covid Suzanne wrote in on the same episode saying, Great discussion. Seems like it would be so obvious that Jesus is speaking representationally when saying, This is my flesh. Throughout the Gospels, he says things like, I am the vine. I am the gate. I am the water of life. I am the bread from heaven. I am the truth. He says he's a shepherd who leads the sheep. His listeners know he is not a literal shepherd, and not herding literal sheep? Why would anyone take one or two lines of Jesus and state emphatically that, well, in these verses, of course, he's being literal? He spoke in parables and metaphor, and when he told people they would have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, some were disgusted and presumed he was being literal. But why would they think this? My feeling is they've reacted that way in order to find some reason to vilify him, and they often took his words out of context in order to paint him in a bad light, like saying he was trying to make himself God. But clearly, all these usages of representational images were meant to express a certain point and quality of Jesus, just as biblical names describe God, such as God is salvation, not the person given that name. I appreciate the discussion. Well, thanks for writing in, Suzanne. Great points here, especially in the Gospel of John. Jesus speaks in a very metaphorical way. Uh, Speaking of the Gospel of John, I've got a hot interview lined up with Craig Blomberg, who just wrote a new book about the Gospel of John called Jesus the Purifier. So stay tuned for that. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. But back to your point, yeah, Jesus does speak in lots of metaphors, especially in the Gospel of John. And there is a repeating motif of his antagonistic interlocutors misunderstanding him. And sadly, the evangelical church in particular has often taken the theology of the enemies of Christ as being legitimate and then building their doctrine on that, rather than recognizing that because an enemy of Christ says it, especially in the Gospel of John, it's probably wrong and therefore to be rejected. And you should look to see how Jesus responds to what their accusation is, or their misunderstanding is. So that's that's important when studying the Gospel of John as well. But I do want to be careful not to say Jesus doesn't use metaphor in the Synoptic Gospels. I think he certainly does there as well, maybe just less than in the Gospel of John. Some good thoughts there from Suzanne. Thank you for that. Luke wrote in saying, My church, incidentally, celebrates the communion as a meal in people's homes the night before Passover, almost exactly the way Stephen described. A lot of us also make challah bread Friday nights and have a special meal with bread and wine and indeed call that communion. But it is more casual, similar to the second version of things he proposed. We happen to celebrate the biblical feasts, 
Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and Sabbath. Interesting how the practices coincide. Well, Luke, thanks for sharing that. It certainly seems to be a very meaningful practice that you have to celebrate the Passover in the home and to have communion during that. I have been a part of a number of these type type of celebrations, sort of like a Christian version of the Seder. They can be very meaningful, and I do appreciate them. So thanks, everyone, for writing in. If you haven't yet heard this interview, uh, I would recommend it. It's episode 506 and 507, Eating Christ's Flesh. It ended up being a two-parter from Stephen Nemish, whose book is yet to come out. It's going to be out in the next several months or maybe in 24. It's already in the process of publication with Wittgenstock, I believe, or uh, Cascade is their imprint for scholarly literature. So uh, take a look at that. I'll let you know when that book comes out. But if you haven't let, yet listened to this interview, it is an important question. It's like, how do we celebrate communion? What does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body? So take a look at that. Well, that's going to be it for today. We'll get to some more comments in our next episode as we continue in our conversation about bullying with John Nessel, uh, because he's got a lot more to say and a lot more spiritual insight and personal testimony as well to help you or people you know to recover from the trauma and abuse of getting bullied. And, And hey, if he can prevent someone from doing something crazy or hurting others out of revenge for getting bullied, then I think these two episodes will be worth it. So please share this one with your friends, especially if you know anyone in a tough situation like this. It's just a miserable place to be, and to have some guidance and some understanding I think is really helpful. So stay tuned next week for part two on the subject of healing from bullying. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that at our website, restitutio.org. We'll catch you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.